everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. For years, the church has struggled with questions around preparation for ministry. There is no one perfect path because there is no one context for ministry. The church, as Karl Barth put it, must embody various incarnations of itself. The fullness of the body of Christ is best expressed in its diversity. As creative expressions of the church take shape around the United States and world, seminaries and divinity schools, the traditional training spaces for mainline Protestant pastors seek to adapt to the changing needs of what is often seen as one of the ultimate Renaissance careers, ordained ministry. Are we spiritual leaders, nonprofit guides, mission co-workers, counselors, motivational speakers, mediators, Bible professors, or community organizers? Our approach to ministry in 1001 is not unique, but it does represent one of the largest and most diverse new movements of the church in the United States. Of the roughly 650 new churches that are a part of our network around the country, almost 40% are led by people who have formal training in fields other than theology and ecclesiology. We don't see this as a liability, but as an important component of an ecosystem in which members of that movement train and are influenced by one another. As some have said, Jesus does not call the equipped, but equips those whom he calls. In this season of gratitude and reflection, I'm especially thankful for my colleagues in ministry whose courage and sincerity about the gospel have expanded my own imagination about the work of the church in the world. My guest, Fabiana Araujo, is one of those people. Her backgrounds as a musician and architect have shaped her approach to ministry. Once the teenager from Itararé, Sao Paulo, who reluctantly prayed to have an interest in God or the church, Fabiana and her husband, Seychelles, have spent the last 20 years ministering throughout their home country of Brazil. They are now in the United States, in Atlanta, Georgia, where she serves as a resident of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Her clarity and insights, not only about ministry, but about life in general, have been a gift to those of us who know her. Yeah, I think we have this hidden rule among Brazilians. I don't know if this applies to Americans. If we've had dinner, we've enjoyed great food, we've had dessert, then it's coffee time. So if people offer you coffee, this is a sign that you should get going. This last Saturday, we made coffee and we served it to people, but they just didn't care. They had their coffee, but they kept on talking. And my husband looked at me and said, I guess I'll have to make some more coffee then. (laughs) In this episode, part two of our conversation, we discuss the lovely surprise of welcome from a sister congregation toward an organizing new church. How being an architect has trained Fabiana to see ministry as a series of projects and the hidden rule of Brazilian hospitality. Let's jump right in. Your house is full on Saturday nights. It appears that way to me when I look at your social media and Instagram, that it's full of people, it's full of families, it's full of life. Will you tell us about those weekly gatherings. You're right. We've been having a full house on Saturdays. My husband loves to cook. He just loves it. He loves a roast. So when we want to get people together, we know what to do. 
We just spread the word about the roast we're preparing and our friends will be there. But we're at a stage where we know that people are not coming over just for the food. They come because they want to hear good words. They want to nurture these friendships that are so very important. Nowadays, we go to a restaurant because of the great food and ambiance. But why would you go to someone's house? To nurture a friendship, to nurture a relationship, right? So we've been fostering this. Not as often as we'd like, but it's great when we're together. We're able to grow these friendships, to grow these bonds and to share. And that's when we spread the gospel. That's when we talk about our projects. And when we talk to them, as I was saying, we're very honest. Everything is really clear, meaning that they're coming over, they're our friends, they're Christians, they're evangelical, but they don't have to join us in our project. They are welcome, for sure. Because, you know, in other Brazilian churches, they kind of try to control their members. If you decide to go to a given church, You can't be visiting other churches. And this is really sad, isn't it? We need to be free to come and go. If my friend is starting a new church, why wouldn't I visit? Or if there's a guest who's going to preach and share something different at a seminar in another church, why wouldn't I go? We know that our ties to our local church are important for sure, but we need to be flexible nowadays. Life is so busy. We need to feel free. I believe in that. Freedom granted by God. Freedom achieved through God to choose where we want to be. It's been really good, you know, hosting these meetings. They're joyful gatherings. And every time we get together, my daughter says, Mom, can my friends come over? And I always say that, of course they can. It's always great, isn't it, to be in a Christian environment. A healthy environment. You are talking about such an important theme, this connection between the local church and the larger body of Christ, which is one way to describe all the people of faith who follow this way of Jesus around the world. And I think that either intention, in some cases intentionally and quite specifically, Christian churches have caused such suffering and confusion among people of faith and outside of the faith with our demand that we align so specifically with one particular local church. And as you said, become a member of that. Don't visit anything else. Pour all of your energy into that gathered, to use the phrase that we were talking about in our previous episode, moment in the church and in a particular church. And I love what Karl Barth says when he evokes the idea that one, as soon as one congregation is born, another one must be born, because neither can be a complete incarnation of the gospel. They're all incomplete. And so we need not only the existence of various communities of faith around the world that have their own zest, their own calling, their own particularity, but beyond that, we must experience those things, not just know that they exist, but to be a part of them I've had such a gift in this movement, and I know you have as well, to be deeply connected to so many different beautiful expressions of the gospel in all of their contexts. I wouldn't give that up for the world. 
all of those contexts have informed my understanding of my own calling and my own particular experience of being human and giving back to the world. Exactly. I agree. And you just said something that I can relate to from the bottom of my heart. We really gotta give back to the world, you know? I feel so blessed and God has been taking such great care of us that we just want to give back. We want to share this with other people. We want to share it with those around us, with our family, with our friends, or even with people who haven't met us yet, but who are waiting for this, who are waiting for someone to share God's love. We truly want to spread this love everywhere. This is what we want. And the church can't keep this love within its walls. We really have to spread it. We shouldn't try and restrict this love to our spaces. We need to spread it. And there are so many ways to do it. Every community and every church has their own methods, their own circumstances, their own calling. And it's important for us to experience these different realities and to feel free to check other communities out and see how they are operating so we can bring these learnings to our community. But we must understand that our community has a specific calling. This is helpful for us to understand why we're a part of a given community. So right now, I may be in a specific community, but I also know that there are thousands of other communities that are also fulfilling the role that God has created for them, while also knowing that I'm fulfilling my role here. So I may visit them, but I know where I belong, I know where my home is, I know where I'll always come back to, and I know where I'll serve. And I think that's beautiful. I love that. We're not secret spies or, you know, secret shoppers coming to another community and saying, what are they doing that's attracting so much energy and excitement? What can we find out secretly and then learn to do ourselves so that people will leave that place and come and be with us instead? But rather, we are sharing. It's like a bucket of water. Here's some water that you share. And we're rivers of love pouring out of ourselves, not to bolster a reservoir within the church itself, but to be a flowing outward into the world to share that so that it spills over. Your house is full so often. The connections, the gatherings you and your family foster, your openness to the people that you meet in these various circumstances in which you connect for the first time. In the midst of that, do you tire of being around so many people? Do you find times where you wish people would leave your house? <laughs> and maybe that's a very American question, this desire to maintain some sort of a boundary, maintain a certain personal space or control over my calendar and relationships. Wow. Well, you know, sometimes we do get tired of it. Sometimes my husband and I look at each other and we don't have to say a word. And we have this hidden rule among Brazilians. I don't know if this applies to Americans. But let me give you an example. If we've had dinner, we've enjoyed great food, we've had dessert, then it's coffee time. So if people offer you coffee, this is a sign that you should get going. And this last Saturday, we made coffee and we served it to people, but they just didn't care. They had their coffee, but they kept on talking. And my husband looked at me and said, well, 
I'll guess I'll have to make some more coffee Eu then. Vou ter que fazer o segundo café. <risos> Ai, mas a gente realmente assim. Um... <risos> This really is how it goes. And then what happens is that one couple realizes that it's too late and says, "Wow, it's so late. We should get going." And everyone starts leaving. But there's no time limit. When someone is tired or when their kids get sleepy, that's when they'll start thinking about leaving. And then everyone follows suit. But the actual process of leaving takes another 30 minutes, to be honest. First, we stand up from the dinner table, but then we start talking about something else and we spend 10 minutes having this conversation. Then we walk to the door, but something else pops up and we spend another 10 minutes talking about it. And you can add a few extra minutes to walk them to their car and to actually say goodbye. That's how we do it. It makes me think of all the pastor's kids sitting on the curb somewhere outside of the church or the house or whatever gathering place with their hands on their faces and their elbows on their knees of just like, when will mom and dad get out of here? <laughs> or they're running around. At, you know, my own family, we go through this process. It's a cyclical process in which one of us is ready to leave and then the others are not. And so we get into a conversation and meanwhile, the others are ready to leave and then I'm no longer ready to leave. And so it builds up into hours and hours of dalliance. It's beautiful in its own way. I think without those moments... I wouldn't have the quality of the relationships that I have so often enjoyed in the church. Those lingering moments that frustrate us when we think, what time is it when I went to bed? And realize the meaningfulness that came from the last couple of exchanges we had that we wouldn't give up anyways. You mentioned last week of the woman who said, oh, I want to help. And you said, well, we don't have... It's nothing yet. It's just a project. Actually... It all started before. It started with the DML. Yeah, so you're referring to the discerning missional leadership assessment that a lot of leaders who are considering the starting of ministries go through through this movement, through 1001. It's just, how can we hold a mirror up, have the community itself hold a mirror back up to us to say, this is what we're hearing from you. This is where we see your experience and your particular calling in this place. That's right. After this assessment, we were able to better understand ourselves as individuals to seek what God wanted from us. So we started having conversations with the Brazilian community to understand what was going on with them, because we didn't really know where to look for this or where God wanted us to be. Now, in this search, during our discernment, all these voices led us to coming based on the people we talked to and the stories we've heard from the Brazilian community, especially families with kids who are looking for good schools. They've been moving to the northeast of Georgia. So we started looking into coming. And then we reached a point when we thought, we have to find a place. Are any churches going to open their doors to us? That's when we started looking for a church under our denomination, the PCUSA. We thought that since we were in the same family, we should talk to them first. But we also knew that this church was really conservative. Their members are a bit older, but we have a more youthful approach, a contemporary approach with kids. So in my head, I didn't really think that they would want us to be there, but it was the polar opposite. 
they opened their doors to us and they were really excited to have us there. And when I mentioned that this is a project, that means that we don't have it all figured out. We're not a church that has established everything they want to do. We're open to what God wants to do through us. So we're still going through discernment with this project. We've already understood that's where we'll be, because we went to them, we had a lot of conversations, we started developing this relationship, and they behaved as if they were receiving the gift of younger people with a different approach. They were so happy to have us. It was moving. I was so happy to see how joyful they were. And in our conversations with them, we understood what was going on. After the church was founded, they had their families, but kids grew up, went to college, got married, and moved, so only the elderly were left, which is only natural in a way. So we come in as new life, and we don't just want to be a Brazilian church using their space once a week. We want to be a part of this American church. We want to contribute. We want to serve God in the American community as well. So this has been interesting. Now, regarding the person I mentioned, this all kind of happened at the same time. I can't really remember what happened first, if we visited this church first or if we had that conversation with this lady first. It was all around the same time. And we were just sharing ideas and we said that we had a project and that we wanted to do something new and to start a new community without the old vices of a conservative, overbearing church. We wanted to be a church that was there to serve our community and to find out what they need, just like what we did in Florianopolis. I saw what kids needed. Now we need to look at our community here and to find out what it needs and how we can serve them. I think this is captivating. I think it inspires people to want to belong, to want to serve, and to want to share God's love in this very simple way with whatever we have to offer. You don't need to go to seminary school to serve God. You just need to show up. When you first mentioned the phrase project, when you were speaking about these early moments in configuring community, a light bulb went off in my own head. Because to me, it was such an invitational, collaborative word. I know that it links back to your own training, your own professional training and work as an architect. And I would not have, having gone to church school and received my MDiv and spent time in seminary, and you, of course, have had lots of ministry training as well, but the word project doesn't come up very often. It's sort of church plant or organization, or association. But for you, it was a project. And I'm curious if you have anything you'd like to share about the link between that word or that concept of a ministry being a project and how it relates to your professional identity as an architect. Yes, a hundred percent. By the way, when we were talking about visiting other churches, you mentioned that we're not coming over to steal anything from them. We're just trying to share things. Now, in the creative process used by architects, There's this step where we search for references. Let me give you an example. A family or a client may come up to us wanting to build a restaurant. 
So I'm going to look for references. I'm going to survey the types of restaurants in the area, and I'm going to use these references to create a project. I believe we can use the same rationale for the Christian community. When we visit other churches, when we look into other kinds of worship, we're building a benchmark. We may or may not relate to some of these experiences, or we may take pieces of it, but these experiences will be used as inspiration. We're never going to copy anyone, ever. They will be an inspiration for our work. And of course, this is really useful in the kingdom of God too. I get truly inspired by what I see other people doing and saying. This is an inspiration to us so that we can better serve people. More specifically on the project, I find this really interesting. Because the first step of an architectural project is the preliminary study. So it's not the project per se, or how it's going to be done, but the foundation and guidelines, or what we need and what is key for the project. That's what we see in the preliminary study. We always need it. And I know this may be a bit technical or too related to a specific career, but this actually goes perfectly well with the Christian community, doesn't it? We need to figure out what is key for our community or our restrictions when it comes to expanding. We also need to figure out what we can do with that and our calling and the need for which God has called upon us and what we want to do. So this is our preliminary study. After that, we'll be able to develop the final project and we'll be able to perfect it. It's like having a diamond in the rough, which we're improving as we go, as things happen, as God shows us the way, as we welcome new people with new talents, as we get their help, and as we understand each other's needs. This is how we build things. But there's always a foundation. There's always a basic project so that we don't get lost, so that we don't get sidetracked, so that we know where we're headed. You're speaking to me of what I see as a fundamental aspect of and our understanding of humanity as people of faith, people who look at our life's purpose through the lens of the gospel. And you and I and all of us on this call may answer that question and live into that question in particular ways. But the idea uh, that we can fine-tune over the course of our lives, become something new each moment with each experience, with each learning, with each relationship, to become more fully who we're ultimately called to be. And it stands in contrast, I think, to some of what many of us experience as founder's syndrome or this idea that's certainly a part of being human these days that we must present our perfect selves first. We must present this completed project as a human being with all of our accolades and all of our accomplishments leading the way before someone meets us. I heard recently a conversation where in this particular age, we see that if it's not beautiful and perfect, it may be considered as worthless. And I love what you're saying because to me, it's so freeing to think about even as my life changes and my body changes and I am impacted physically, emotionally, spiritually by the events and circumstances of this time in which human beings live. 
leaning into those tensions is what refines us and what allows us to be more useful and allows us to be more faithful and to see the world more clearly and for us to see one another more lovingly and clearly. Fabiana, when you think about your children, what do you hope for them? I hope they can serve God however God wants them to serve Him. You know, I always wanted, in my heart, for them to be missionaries too. I think in the past, this thought used to bring me more pain, because at the beginning, I saw missionaries as people who'd leave everything behind to move to a country far, far away from their family to serve God, and that they might be lost forever, and that we'd never see them again, things like that. But our reality right now is so different from that. We can be missionaries regardless of where we are, and each one of us has a mission to accomplish. When we surrender to God and decide to follow what God has prepared for us, that's how we accomplish our mission. My dream for my kids is that they build a happy family and that they serve God with an open heart, with the gifts and talents that God has bestowed on each one of them, that they never feel lost in this world, that they continue to serve God with honesty, and that their heart stays open to whatever God wants to tell them. We've been having a few different experiences. My oldest will be turning 21. He no longer lives with us, and he's making his own choices. Thank God he's been making good choices. He's already active in worship services, and he's been talking to us about his missionary calling, and that made me so happy. I was so happy to see that God is playing his part, and that they can feel it too. Nothing beats that dream, right? That God will also guide them in their lives. Oh, that made me tear up. So beautiful. So sensitive, as you said. Fabiana, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for our friendship. I'm so thankful to have this conversation because it's just reminded me about my own life and your life and the purpose that we share. And I thank you. Let me just share something about kids. In Brazil... There's a song that talks about family, and there's this beautiful, beautiful quote about the hard work of being a parent. And this song says that kids are going to be the fragrance of every nation. When they were small, I would sing this song and I would cry, wondering what God had in store for them, and nurturing hopes that felt impossible at the time. But now they can speak English. They are a part of another culture And it feels like a starting point. It feels like they can go anywhere in the world from here. And with social media, people can hear us and translate us from anywhere in the world. So may our children be the fragrance of nations and take Christ's perfume everywhere. That would be wonderful. Amen. May it be so. Friends, for the first time ever, we will be releasing episodes of this podcast in Portuguese. Special thanks to the wonderful Teresa Braga for translation, and to the equally wonderful Paula Ianelli for translation and voiceover. Obrigada, Irmas. You can follow the emergence of the Adore community by hopping online at newchurchnewway.org. We will share the community's Facebook page in our show notes. 
And if you're in the Atlanta area, on December 4th at 7 p.m., Fabiana and Cheshel would be honored by your presence and involvement at their very first big gathering. Friends, headed your way are some fabulous upcoming episodes from season eight of New Way. We're exploring contemplation, silence, neighborliness, the importance of trying new things, and more with our awesome lineup of guests. Whether you're listening along with a group or prefer to keep these amazing episodes all to yourself and to just let the magic flow through you as you live your life, you can subscribe at Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do the podcast listening. Thanks for listening to New Way. Our producer is the fabulous Marthame Sanders. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Catch you next time. Thank you.